0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're at, Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, We've been walking through uh, just this little section here in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 uh, down through verse 14. And I mentioned last time that as we were working through these examples of idolatry and, and what Paul is saying to those in Corinth, that we were going to get into the solution, uh, Paul's conclusion to this whole thing. Uh, but the interesting thing about Bible study, uh, if you've experienced this, is it's you know as you're working through this and you have a thought of where things are heading, uh, then as you keep studying, you realize, oh, there's, man, there's more in here. Uh, and, I, and I know that word even just skimming the surface, even in this passage, so I recognize that, Uh, but as I was approaching Paul's solution, uh, I realized that there was uh, a verse I didn't want to leave out, and then I got lost in the verse, so uh, we're going to talk about the solution next time. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Uh, well, which means we are going to dive into uh, verse twelve uh, this morning, and part of the reason is I, I don't want I don't want to miss the concept that's here in verse twelve, and there's a reason why Paul is going in this progression, and before he gets to the solution, he gives you his concept or gives you a warning in verse twelve, and I, I've always this is going to sound rather odd even in light of this verse, but I've always tended to take it lightly, but as I was Looking at this and studying it out, I'm realizing, wow, uh, this, this packs a punch in terms of the aggressiveness of what Paul is trying to warn us for. And so I just want to bring you in on that because I think it's, it's just going to be important to set the stage for the solution, which, God willing, we'll talk about <laughs> next time. Uh, so, just, just for some quick review, uh, we were talking about this idea in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 10 that God has provided everything that the Israelites needed. And so here they are, they're wandering the wilderness, and Paul is saying, let me give you an illustration. While they're in the wilderness, God has given them absolutely everything that they need. Now, it may not be what they want, but, they've, but he has given them everything that they need. So let me just reread those verses just so they're fresh in our minds. Paul says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, And all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. And as we were fleshing this out, we were realizing that Paul has, or again, Paul is articulating that God has given them everything. So direction and shelter, protection, deliverance, spiritual headship, blessing, nourishment, testing, instruction, provision, and life. So, God is giving the Israelites everything that they need. And then Paul uses that as an illustration to say, Do you realize that just as God provided everything that the Israelites needed in the wilderness, so too Christ has provided everything that you need? And that He is, as 2 Peter 3, or 1 verse 3 says, that Jesus is everything that we need for life and godliness. But then Paul gives the warning He says, Okay, even though god provided everything the israelites needed what you see is that israel becomes an example of idolatry and so then in verses 6 down through 11 paul gives this example of even though god supplied even though god gave manna and quail on the bush and water from the rock and pillar of fire by cloud pillar of fire by night cloud by day well, that was weird and even and even though their shoes didn't wear out and and everything was supplied they, even though there's this great movement of God in their midst, they were still prone to idolatry. So listen to what Paul says in this, in verses 6 through 11. He goes on and says, "...now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play." Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. And as we were fleshing this out, we were looking at this idea that Paul gives four examples. He talks about the golden calf, which is all about this idea of impatience. Uh, sexual immorality or this twistedness of sexuality. There was this idea of testing Christ, which was the pushing the boundaries, how much can I get away with, how far is too far, it's that kind of a concept. And then he talks about grumbling and complaining. And he says these four things are clear signs in our lives of idolatry. That when we walk in impatience, when we walk in sexual immorality, when we walk in this idea of, well, how, how much can I get away with? When we, when we walk in the reality of complaining and grumbling, it's actually signs for our soul that we're actually participating in idolatry. And if I may go back, the, the best definition, or at least the working definition, that we've been using for idolatry was this. It's looking to anyone or anything besides Jesus to meet my needs. And so when I'm looking to someone or something to satisfy the depth of my being, and I'm turning to it rather than to God, do you realize that I will be frustrated and, and, and complain? I will become impatient because you cannot meet my needs. You cannot satisfy the depth of my soul. That's actually a place reserved only for God. And so though God has given us amazing things, he's given us creation, and he's given us rest, and he's given us rela- uh, relationships and people. He's given us hobbies and enjoyments of, of laughter and Though all those things are good, the moment I turn to any of those and make them the focus of my life, the moment I say, I need that to survive in my life, I, I, I'm craving that. Otherwise, I, will, I won't be satisfied in whatever arena. That has become an idol in my life. The moment I turn to anything or anyone besides Jesus to meet my needs. And so this is just review, but listen to the, the flow of what Paul is saying He's saying God has supplied everything the Israelites needed. And, oh dear Corinth, God has supplied everything you need. That Jesus is everything that you need. He is your supply. And yet, just as Israel was given everything and they were prone to idolatry, Corinthians, you have the same issue. Modern church, we have that same issue. God has given us everything we need. And yet we are strangely prone to idolatry. And just because there is a movement of God in our midst and just because you know, we, we might see these pockets of revival or manna or water from the rock or fire and cloud and shoes not wearing out and we can point to things in our lives saying, wow, look at the movement of God. That doesn't mean we're immune to sin and idolatry. Because if Israel could fall corinth you're not safe either in fact modern church you're not immune either so as paul is moving into what he's about to talk about in terms of his solution he comes to this idea that i thought was just profound to me which is verse 12 and he really talks about this idea of what you could call a heart of pride let me just read you this passage 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Listen to that. Therefore, let whomever thinks that he stands take heed that he does not fall. Uh, I I gave you a couple quotes in the last session from uh, an old friend uh, named John Juman, and he wrote a little book on... 1 Corinthians 10, and I just want to give you a snippet of something he says in light of even this passage. I just thought this was intriguing. He said this, this statement goes to the heart of the mindset and attitude that was behind the idolatry of Israel and was now especially taking place in the Corinthians. And I could expand that and say the modern church. Would the Corinthians be so arrogant to believe that they would not fall into the same traps as their predecessors? What he's saying is he's giving a warning to the corinthians saying look i just gave you an illustration i just gave you an example of of our predecessors that they were prone to idolatry even though god supplied everything are you so arrogant to think that that wouldn't happen to you and i'd almost ask that same question to us in the modern church because i think we can read these kind of passages and we can look back and go well yeah they had those issues yeah, Israel, they weren't that smart. I mean, come on. Have you seen, seen the book of Judges? I mean, have you seen some of their... Are, are you so arrogant to think that you are not prone to the same things? Are you somehow arrogant and prideful to think that that sin and idolatry can't touch your life? I, w- I want to flesh this verse out a little bit for you this morning. I just found this really illuminating and convicting <laughs> in my own life the word think uh paul says again right therefore let him who thinks that he stands the the word think has two kind of ways to understand that word in in greek one means to like think to suppose imagine to presume it's to think or believe something without being fully settled in mind or opinion in other words it's based on your opinion rather than fact so you're looking at a scenario or you're looking at a situation and you're like, well, my best guess, my perception is, my opinion of the matter is, I am presuming this to be true. Well, is it based on any fact? I don't, I don't know. I don't even care. But that's, that's my presumption. Okay, that's one way to understand this. The other way to understand this is to appear in one's understanding or to recognize something. It gives this idea of an appearance. So if you take that and you come into our passage, it's actually strangely illuminating. Paul's not just saying, well, if you, if you think that you stand. Let me give you one way you could, if, if you take the first definition and kind of shove it into our passage in an amplified kind of a way. It would read something like this. Therefore, let him who thinks, supposes, imagines, or presumes to stand based on personal opinion rather than fact, take heed that he does not fall. See, if you are like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm presuming I'm good. I I'm, I'm actually have the opinion that I am fine. Paul says, take heed that you do not fall. Or if you, if you take the other definition, you could read it this way. Therefore, let him who appears to stand to take heed that he does not fall. Now, there is a tension because when you think about this idea, we are believers, and we are called to stand. And there should be no reason to fall flat into the middle of the mud of idolatry and sin. I agree with that. But Paul is giving a warning to the church in Corinth saying, uh, have you seen your behavior? Have you noticed what you're participating in? Have you noticed your attitude and your thought processes? Paul's saying, you have this arrogance to say, well, yeah, I'm immune. I, I, I can't fall into sin. I, 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 I will not give to an idolatry. And Paul's like, okay, you have this opinion about yourself, but look at your behavior. So hold on to that. The word, think to stand, the word stand is really interesting. It means to stand, to hold one, one's ground, to maintain a position, and to be steadfast. But here's what's interesting, and don't, don't go crazy, okay? But, you know, in English, we have past tense, present tense, future tense. Uh, in Greek, there's those, but there's also some others. One of those is what this word shows up in. It's, it's in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense, it's interesting, it's a past action that has continual results. In other words, something has happened in the past, and it's affecting me into the present. Does that make sense? Uh, for example, the cross is a past event that has continuing effect on my present reality today, right? That would be like the perfect tense. Paul is using this verb to stand, and he says it is something that has happened in the past that is, has continual effect on my present, has this idea of long term, has this idea of long standing, if we may even use that term. The other interesting reality of this is if you go back into the ancient Greek, uh, when, it, when, it, when we're talking about like classical Greek, Homer and, you know, the Odyssey and that kind of stuff, Homer specifically uses this term, and he uses this term to stand, that this Greek word, and it's for this, to raise buildings, statues, or trophies. And so if you look at Greek and Roman culture, you realize that they were, if you've ever gone to museums, they were obsessed with statues they loved they loved their images and of course it was the height of one's career if you could have a statue made of you it was a sense of accomplishment it was the sense of look i am impressive look at me oh aren't aren't i phenomenal it was that kind of an idea and there seems to be if you kind if of you kind of take that concept it actually is revealing to what the church of corinth is doing they're actually saying, regardless of my behavior, look how impressive my spiritual life is. I'm standing. I have this long standing. It wasn't just that I'm doing well right now. I have always had a really great spiritual life. I mean, I have perfect church attendance, and I, you know, I always pay the preacher $50, and, and I, you know, I, have the, I have all these things going for me, and, and look at my spiritual pedigree. I mean, aren't I impressive? And if there's not a statue of me, maybe there should be. And everyone could go past and go, well, that is a good spiritual person. Whoa. You realize that is actually the heart of what the Church of Corinth is saying? Or I I said it this way, look how impressive my spiritual life is and has always been. Again, it has that idea of long-standing. It's this perfect that I was doing really well and it's still affecting me now. I'm good. That Regardless of my behavior, I'm actually an impressive specimen called a Christian. And Paul says, uh, you have this opinion about yourself. You have this thought process. You are presuming that you are so impressive spiritually. Paul says, take heed, lest you fall. I, I don't know if you recognize the heart of this. Let me give you a way, maybe we can add all this together in terms of the 1 Corinthians ten, twelve thing. So here, here's an amplified version if you just want to keep combining all this stuff. So this is my version of this. Therefore, let him who presumes and thinks he's impressive and appears to have been standing all this time, take heed. Well, yeah, I, you know, I grew up in the church, and ever since the very beginning, I have been doing well. Do you realize all? That's just pride. That the heart of all of this, what Paul is really getting to is, and this is going to sound intense, but you have the same attitude as Satan. He says you're in a position where you are looking at your spiritual life, and you're saying, "I'm impressive. I I I cannot fall. I I have no problems whatsoever." I I actually don't even need Jesus because look how amazing I am. Paul says, do you you realize if the Israelites of old, where God has provided everything they needed, if they were susceptible to sin and idolatry, what, oh dear Corinth, makes you immune to that? Well, God's been doing a lot of stuff in our midst. Yeah, we've been taking communion and having the Lord, you know, we've been baptized and, and we have these movements of God in our midst. Paul says that's great, but that's what Israel had. So what makes you immune from falling into sin and idolatry? Well, I I, I am a specially impressive spiritual creature. Paul says that opinion of yourself is called pride. And pride is the attitude in the heart of Satan himself. Uh, When you turn to Isaiah 14 you actually get a glimpse of the attitude of Satan. Listen, listen to this passage. <clears throat> God says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you set in your heart. So we actually get a quote from the heart of Satan. Okay, This is, this is his attitude. This is his heart. Satan says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Do you know what that's called? Pride. That Satan is building a statue to himself and saying, aren't I impressive? Aren't I amazing? Just look at me. I have an impressive life. I am the angel that covered. I am, I am the angel of, of light. I am just, Woo! look at me. Corinth is doing the same thing. They have that same attitude. That they are walking in a prideful presumption that they cannot fall. Here's a quote or insight onto this. The manner of Satan is all about seeking the high position. The pursuit is always to be something, to be greater, more noticed, better thought of, better image, more impressive appearance. This is why Paul is warning the Corinthians, for they have been or were falling into the same deadly trap. Do you have that? Do you have that same attitude where you want to be something greater, more noticed, better thought of, bigger image, more impressive, a more impressive appearance? Do you, do you have that drive We're like, I want to be seen and I want to be noticed and and I want someone to look at my spiritual life and go, whoa, super Christian. That's called pride. And the moment that you have the thought process or the presumption where you think that you are standing, you're standing in a position where I am the model of godliness. I am the picture of perfection. That, That I, you know what, a statue should be made i should have been included in hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith yeah we need to add a few rooms to that and and my name needs to be included in that list do you realize that that attitude is the same attitude that satan had and isn't it fascinating when you look at this idea paul makes this intriguing statement he says beware take heed lest you fall And I don't know if you recognize how often Satan is tied into this idea of fall. That he fell from heaven. He caused the fall of humanity. Or he initiated, maybe maybe a better way of saying it. That, That there's all this idea that there's always this falling, there's this propelling to the ground when it comes to this idea of pride. Do you recognize that the opposite of that is the attitude of Jesus? which is humility it is such a strange thought but there is no pride in god the one who is above all things the one who is the king of kings and the lord of lords the one who is the creator of the universe the one who actually has the right to be prideful the one who actually could say look at me look at me we should build a statue of myself actually says no statues and the God of the universe has humbled himself to become a servant. Look at this passage in Mark. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was constantly bleeding, suffering, dying, pouring his life out, washing the feet, saying, hey, how can I meet your needs? How can I serve? How can, how can I just love on you? Hey, hey, what do you need? How can I? He stooped. He humbled himself. In fact, look what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. The the whole chapter is phenomenal. But Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3, Isaiah says, For he, speaking of this Messiah named Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot. He was this little branch. And like a root out of parched ground, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. He was lowly. Thought, in fact, when you read through Isaiah 53, you, you hear Paul picking up that idea and expounding or fleshing this out in an incredibly beautiful way in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. I don't, I don't know if you've read this recently, but Philippians chapter 2 Uh, verses 6 through 8 listen to this jesus who being in very nature god in other words he's god did not consider equality with god something to be used for his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Here is Jesus, who is God. And yet he wasn't grabbing a hold of that. He actually was willing to lay himself down, become humble, serve, and find himself upon the cross. Do you realize that that attitude, that heart, is the opposite of what Satan has? Which is grabbing, taking, position, appearance, image, building yourself up, puffing yourself up, presuming yourself perfect, jesus who is perfect is the name above all their names is the king stoops and do you realize that if he actually does live inside of us we would have his nature and his heart and so ponder what paul is saying in to those in corinth, to those in corinth, uh, corinth he says oh dear corinthians you have this presumption where you have this appearance where you have put yourself up as this image. You think you are standing. You think you're in this place of perfection. You think that you are immune to sin and idolatry. And yet, that's the attitude of Satan. In 1 Corinthians 10 again, Paul says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Listen to this thought. Paul's forewarning here makes this simple connection that whoever lives in the manner of Satan is destined for a fall. The correlation of Satan and a fall are strong throughout scriptures. Some scriptures, like Matthew 25, 2 Peter 2, Jude 6, Revelation 12, refer to the casting of Satan from heaven and the fall of angels who have followed Satan. This is the principle, the spiritual quote-unquote law of physics to which Paul is alluding in the warning of 1 Corinthians 10. The manner of Satan, the attitude of Satan, the lifestyle of Satan always leads to a fall. And so Paul says, hey, take heed. If you are walking in pride and arrogance, watch out! Because there's only one place where that goes. Down. Down. Do you realize how much God hates that attitude of pride? You know this passage well, but Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Isn't it interesting that pride comes before a fall? That it's the attitude and the mindset of Satan, when when I boast and I put myself in a position of, hey, I'm doing great, I have no problems, watch out because that's when you're susceptible to a fall why because i'm actually not holding on to the answer jesus and the moment i turn within myself and in independence say well i have this down i can pull this off i can do this myself i'm actually heading downward because rather than grabbing hold to the solution which is christ i'm actually holding on to myself in pride and there's only one place for that to go Peter makes this rather intense statement in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. He says, all of you, clothe yourself with humility. Do you hear that? You are to be clothed with humility. In fact, the word clothe gives this idea, when you look at it, it's, it's a, it was the clothing worn by slaves. It was a distinguishing mark that identified a slave from someone who was free. In other words, someone could go down to the market and just scan the crowd and they would see this particular clothing and they go, oh, that's a slave. Do you realize that Christians are supposed to be marked by something? That There are two things biblically that are to be defined or, or, or that define the lifestyle of a Christian. Jesus says they will know you by your love. Peter says that they will know you by humility. That you are clothed with humility in such a way that when the world looks at your life, they go, you must be a Christian. Yeah, well, how do you know? Because I see love and humility. Does that define your life? Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another for, here's the reason, get this, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble, humble humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at proper time. Peter says, you need to be clothed, marked by humility. Why? Because God resists the proud. That word, to oppose or resist the proud, it is so strong. The idea is actually to hold at arm's length. When I walk in pride, do you know what I'm actually doing? I, I am causing God to hold me at arm's length. The word opposed or resist gives us idea of not just to hold at arm's length. It's actually intensified in the sense that it's like setting an army against you. So if I'm going to oppose you, if I'm going to resist you, then I take my army and I put them in opposition against you. I have them stand and push back against you. Ponder this. When I walk in pride, God... Resists that. He holds me at arm's length. He sets his army against me. Now, just for God to hold me at length would be a scary thought. For God to set his armies against me? You realize one angel, one angel, came into the Assyrian camp and killed over 150,000 on one night. That's one angel. And so here is a Lord of angel armies setting his army against me if I walk in pride. Uh, That's not going to go over well. Do you realize that pride is so serious in the life of a Christian? And pride is so insidious. It is so sneaky. And I think so often we don't realize how often we we walk in pride that we think in pride in fact even in our humility oh i'm humble that's pride and any time that i turn the gaze of my soul back upon myself that's pride folks when i turn to anyone or anything besides jesus to meet my needs that's pride When I'm living for myself, that's pride. When the first thought in the morning is me, that's pride. And Peter says that I am to clothe myself with humility because God resists that. Because that attitude is the same attitude as Satan. Why do we want this in our life? Well, I, 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 I don't then why are you standing in a position that says, I'm fine? I'm good. Yeah, Israel may have had an issue with idolatry. Okay, even Corinth may have had an issue with idolatry. But I'm good. I have this appearance. I've always had this appearance of being just great spiritually. In fact, when people look at my life, they go, Woo! look at that Christian. Yeah, I have this wonderful opinion about myself, i have this outward appearance of spirituality but what about the inside stuff what about the depth of your soul yeah okay you may have the appearance of spirituality you may have the appearance of godliness but what about the reality of your soul are you all wrapped up in you are you are you wrapped up in impatience sexual immorality Testing God, trying to figure out, pushing the limits and the boundaries and how far can you get away, what can you get away with and grumbling and complaining and frustration. Paul says those are marks of of idolatry. And so even though you may look at yourself and go, well, yeah, 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 I'm good, I'm fine. Are you? And it is true. If I am in Christ Jesus, sin can't touch me. That is true. I can walk boldly and confidently as a believer. That is true. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. But when I have the appearance or the opinion that sin can't touch me, and when I'm walking in a whole bunch of junk on the inside, though I have the appearance of godliness on the outside, Paul says, take heed. Because a fall is quickly coming. Do you know how scary that is? Because in our modern church, we, we know how to have the appearance. We know to have that presumption, that thought process, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, 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 on the outside, I, I know when to stand up, and I know when to sit down, and I know the right words, and I know the songs to sing, and, and, I, and I have the outward appearance of spirituality. But if you could get into my mind, and my heart, and my attitude, and my, 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 the depths of my being, are you? Well, I'm doing really good. Are you? There is only one solution here, folks. I need Jesus. And in Christ, I can't fall. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror. In Christ, sin cannot touch me unless I yield to it. Sin has no more power in my life. As a believer, praise the Lord! You should be excited. That's good news. But do you know how often we have the same attitude as the Corinthians? Well, I'm not going to have those problems over there, like the Israelites. That's what the Corinthians were saying. Yeah, they may have done that. I'm fine. Paul's like, excuse me, have you looked at your attitude? Have you looked at your behavior? So, let me just read you two quotes. So, throughout the book of Corinthians, right, Paul has been addressing the pride and the arrogance of the Corinthians throughout the letter. For it is their real stumbling block which manifests itself in every area of life for them. Pride and arrogance is what resulted in church division, lawsuits against one another, sexual immorality, and all manner of conflict and relationships, marital and otherwise. The Corinthians were not doing well. They had serious problems. And yet they saw themselves as great specimens of spirituality here's what another scholar said he said some of the corinthians at least clearly thought of themselves as possessing an unassailable spiritual security based on their knowledge and spiritual experiences well look at what god has done in the past for us look at the experience of my life is is the idea look at how much we know uh, look at how much of scripture we know he goes on and says they thought that they had nothing to fear from the practice of their freedoms in the areas of diet or sexual gratification. They consider themselves spiritually strong and knowledgeable enough to enter into theological debate with Paul. Paul's warnings throughout this passage are intended to help them see that their behavior suggests that they are not nearly as secure as they suppose and that reconsideration of their present attitudes and practices is a matter of great urgency. Could I encourage you on that same thought process? Again, we've grown up in a culture that is very facade-driven. That there is this outward appearance of spirituality, and just because I attend church and, and, I, and I know I know when to stand and sit, and I, I know all those kind of things, and I know the right words to say, and, and, I, and I throw in some big theological terms once in a while so I sound smart. I, I know what it looks like to fake it as a Christian. And it's really easy to be like, look at my life. I have it all put together. When in reality, I'm, I've got serious problems on the inside. Because I'm full of pride. And Paul says, do you realize that pride is the undercurrent of all the problems in the Corinth church? And you can take any one of their issues. And they had a lot to choose from but the heart of every single one of them is that they were walking in pride and Jesus was insufficient. Where are you at in your life? Jesus has supplied everything that you need for life and for godliness. Do you have signs of idolatry in your soul? Yeah, yeah, but, but I'm doing well. I, I'm an Ellerslie student. Look at my notebook. I mean, I'm, I'm, look! Look, I, I've never missed a church, a church Sunday, and I, I've never—I I, I teach Sunday school. I, I, I look at all my spiritual activities. L- look at my awards. Look at my trophies. Look at—look at all my mission strips. Look at my tithing history. Just look at my life. Yeah, I have the appearance of spirituality, but do you actually have godliness on the inside? Are you walking in genuine humility and godliness and purity and righteousness? Well, folks, if you look at the modern church today, the modern church is spotted and stained. We are blemished. And Christ is coming back for an unblemished, spotless bride. Well, what's causing the blemishes? Sin. Which at the very heart of that is called pride. And the heart of pride is this attitude of, God, I don't need you. I I can do this. I I can live my Christian life. Hey, I've got the wisdom. I've got the talent. I've got the personality. Hey, I'll I'll dig down deep into my pockets and I will produce something that will be pleasing to you. Isn't this this pleasing to you, God? And God says, that is a stench. I can't accept that. Where are you at? Do you have areas of pride in your soul? Do, Do you have this opinion about yourself do you have this presumption that you're actually doing okay well i'm not nearly as bad as those people oh i'm better than the rest of my you know the people at my church do you do you have a thought or an opinion or a presumption about yourself that you're actually doing really well do do you have the appearance of godliness but not the actual thing because Paul's solution is rather simple, which we'll get into maybe next time. But if I can simplify it, it's you need Jesus. That you've been turning to something other than him to satisfy and to meet your needs. And for most of us, it's actually ourselves. We have become our own idols. It's our talent and our wisdom and our self-sufficiency and, and, and my ability to pick myself on the bootstraps. And I want to prove myself to God. And, and, and God, aren't you lucky to have me? And, when he says, no, no, you need me. I've come to serve. I've come to meet your needs. And here you are utterly helpless. Here I am in an overwhelming sufficiency. And you're saying, yeah, I don't need that sufficiency. I'll, I'll, I'll just... And he says, you can't function that way. You can't walk in pride saying, God, I really don't need you. God says, would you be humble enough to admit your overwhelming insufficiency and embrace my overwhelming sufficiency, and live out the reality of the Christian life. And folks, you don't have to give into idolatry, and you don't have to be pushed around by sin, and and you don't have to fear of of falling, as long as I'm in Christ Jesus, and as long as I hold tight to Him. But the moment I have the presumption, and the moment that I start having the thought process that hey, I'm good. And the moment I start comparing myself to everyone else, saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as... Paul says, take heed. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands, therefore, he that presumes and has this presumption that he's doing okay, he who has an outward appearance of of godliness and yet inwardly does not have it, take heed that you do not fall. That word, take heed. Means to see, to watch carefully, be vigilant, be on the lookout, beware. Do you realize that you are to be on the lookout for something? That you are to always be on guard about something. What what is it? That that attitude of pride cannot be in you, and you are to guard yourself against that. You are to always be on the lookout for that pride and that arrogance that says, "I'm sufficient." I don't need him. I'm doing okay. And anytime I walk in pride, Paul says, take heed. In fact, I think this is interesting. It's in the present active imperative. Paul commands you. It's an imperative. He commands you. And again, we've mentioned this before, but the present tense in Greek is the idea of the ever-present tense. So whenever you're in the present, this is to be the reality of your soul. So at every moment of your life, Paul is commanding you be on guard. Be watchful. Be vigilant over your life. That you do not walk in pride. That you do not carry the attitude of Satan in you that is trying to puff yourself up or put yourself in a position or create some statue of yourself that says, I've got it. I Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Take heed. Be on guard. I don't know where you're at. Do you have any idolatry in your life you know looking to anyone or anything besides jesus to meet your needs do you do you have any of that going on in your life no no, no i'm perfect i'm good no 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 genuinely do you have idolatry in your life well I'm, I'm a good christian kid praise the lord but if the israelites were prone to idolatry if the corinthians were prone to idolatry don't be so prideful To think that you are immune from this and it's true you need to be in christ and as long as i am in christ he is my fortress he is my protection that is all true and that is amazing but don't walk in the prideful arrogance that says i don't need him don't have this presumption that you have reached the pinnacle of spirituality that that i there's no more to learn and grow and seek after because there's always more in him you are not a finished product So don't have the prideful thought, don't have the arrogance to presume that you are done. Which means I'm to always walk in humility. I'm to always seek. I'm to always pursue Him. I'm always to just, oh Lord, I desperately need You. Lord, I I need to abide. I need to surrender. I need to depend. I need to live in this reality every moment of every single day. Do you have that? Uh, Lord, maybe this was for nobody else, but 1 Corinthians 10, 12 just confronts my life. Because Lord, it is so easy having grown up in the church and knowing the right things to say and teaching good spiritual lessons. And it is so easy to just have this presumption of, yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, obviously if I'm reading my Bible and I'm going to church and you know, I'm giving a Sunday school lesson once in a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine spiritually. I'm doing better than 99% of the people around me in the church. But Lord, is there pride in my soul, in my thought process, in my attitude that, pre- that either presumes that I'm the finished product or, or has this appearance of godliness on the outward, but in the reality of my, the depths of my being, I realize that, man, I don't have it. Lord, the solution to that is You. That I need to humble myself before You and say, I I am desperate, desperate, desperate for Jesus. That I I cannot live this life on my own. I I can't pull this off. and I I, I can't be free from idolatry and sin outside of You. Lord, don't allow me to have an appearance of godliness, an appearance of holiness, an appearance, appearance of spirituality, but not have the reality in the depths of my being. Lord, don't, don't let me have an attitude of Satan that just walks around in pride just presuming and thinking that I'm good, thinking that either I'm a finished product or thinking that, yeah, I'm fine. When actually I am headed for a fall. Lord, would you be the solution to our souls? And Lord, I know we'll flesh this out next time, but but man, I, I desperately need you. That if the Israelites were prone to idolatry, if the Corinthians were prone to idolatry, Lord, don't allow me to have the prideful thought that I'm immune to idolatry and sin. The reality is, is yeah, it's true. Sin can't touch me if I'm in you. But Lord, I'm never immune. I can always give myself over, which is why I desperately need you. Because I don't want that kind of life. And the only way that I can pull this off, the only way I can live how I'm called to live, is I need you every moment of the day, just infiltrating my life and being the fullness and the reality of my soul. Lord, I don't want to look to anyone or anything outside of you to meet my needs. Lord, I don't want anything or anyone outside of You to have first place in my life. I don't want anyone or anything in my life to sit upon the throne of my soul other than You. And so, Lord, could You bathe us in humility? Lord, could You stir our hearts and would You put Your finger on pride in our souls? And I pray that we would come to the foot of the cross and that we would confess that we would grab a hold of You and not let go. Lord, I do not want to walk in pride and have You hold me at arm's length. So Lord, would You, would you just allow me, enable me to walk in humility and oh, may I embrace the reality of Christ on a whole nother level this morning. love you, jesus let's give you the praise and the glory in your precious name amen daily thunder is a listener supported production of ellersley discipleship training at ellersley we are laboring to rouse the church of jesus christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted christians for such a time as this daily thunder episodes are released every day monday through friday from our campus in windsor colorado And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.